Welcome to Rebel Without Applause, where we enthusiastically explore the intersection of sports, entertainment, and culture. I'm your host, Maurice Bob, and today we have a very special guest on the line. He is a two-time Grammy Award-winning drummer who has played with everyone from former NBA player Wayman Tisdale to Khalees, to Angie Stone, Jermaine Dupree, and most recently, hip-hop star Lecrae. He's also a producer in his own right with two albums of his own titled Heard Not Seen. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Nate, the beat breaker, Robinson to the program. What's up, bro? <laughs> How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Happy to be here. Happy to be alive. Exactly. Very happy to be alive. Uh, how's Atlanta treating you? It's hot, <laughs> but it's good. You know what I mean? It's um, it's good. But yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely that time of the year where you earn that hot Atlanta name. Yes, yeah, I forgot about Hotlanta. It's been a while since I heard that Hotlanta. I mean, it ain't uh, it ain't Houston humid hot, but it's, it's it's scorching out there right now. It'll get you. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna come inside pretty quick. <laughs> get that AC going. Yeah, man. Um, but yeah, good to see you, man. Glad to hear you're doing well. Um, you know, just to dive on in. Um, you know, uh, program's called Rebel Without Applause, as you know. Yeah. And I like to flip that. And, um, you know, can you tell me about, you know, the most rebellious moment, uh, you know, in your lifetime that you can remember? Hmm. Let me see. I, my mama would probably say a whole lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, well, yeah, I, I I can go with my, with my mom and them. I, you know, I come from pretty like traditional straightforward home you know what i'm saying and they both my parents grew up in the projects and you know what i'm saying they they fought and scraped for everything so they wanted me to take what they figured was going to be like the easiest path that they were trying to create for me which is you know go to college go get a job you know 401k just boom 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 so from a pretty early on it was clear that i was kind of running in some creative spaces and that's what really had my attention and i think that like that's that scared the mess out of them because they didn't see how that was going to be like that stable thing that i needed that they were trying to you know prepare for me and um so yeah i had to i had to kind of push hard against what they wanted me to to uh go after or what they thought was best in order for me to to get to where i want to get to because it was just it wasn't lining up with what they thought was uh, was best for me. It was, you know, I appreciate it too because I know I understand exactly where they were coming from. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely had to rebel pretty tough because they they wasn't trying to hear that. You know what I'm saying? I think that's all you could do as a parent is to uh, you know set your child up for success, give them everything they need, support them. You know, and then give them, let them have an opportunity to choose whatever path, you know, it is. It's, you know, it's your job to say, okay, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this, you know, and kind of see what sticks. And then when something sticks, you know, you have to support them. Uh, and, and to their credit, like to their credit, regardless of uh, whether they always agreed, they they still have my back. You know what I'm saying? They they still supported me the same way. They still, they bought me drums, even though they didn't want to hear them. <laughs> like, so I, they, I had the support. I still got their support. You know what I'm saying. So I, I definitely can't make it sound like they weren't, they weren't in my corner still. You know, it just we had a, a little moment of friction trying to get here. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, what made you pick up the sticks for the first time and start, you know, banging on drums? What, what drove you there? I don't even know, man. I was just attracted to it, like from the time I was a real, real, real young kid. So, just being in church, like I would just gravitate straight to the drums. You know what I'm saying? Like nothing else got my attention. You know, either like running after the drums or trying to go to sleep. <laughs> like that was the thing that just got me. So yeah, I, I don't I don't really have any recollection for real of not just being enthralled with, with music in some kind of way. Like that's just that's just what it was since before I had a choice in it, you know. It's interesting that, you know, uh, if you look at a lot of people's musical careers, you know, the genesis of it started, you know, in the church. Um, what does that say about the church you know, where it fosters such a creative, um, you know, path musically? Yeah. Um, I mean, 
couple things. One, I mean, not not to knock anybody, but it's something real special in the black church, like just with um, just black people's like musical giftings. You know what I'm saying? Like from the the old mother in the church that can play the piano. Like I don't know. We just that's just one of the things that I think God just kind of dipped us in is just some musical ability. Most everybody can sing a little bit, you know. So the choirs be amazing because you got 60 people and all of them have some kind of, you know, musical ability. So um, I, I think there's just some, um, there's some DNA involved, you know what I'm saying? And, and like, that's something that you can't teach. But then when you, when you put that, you know, in a little incubator like a church and kids grow up in it and um, man, it's, and it, it's just a, it's a very, um, it's very inspired, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not stoic where you're just saying, here's a piece of paper, read the music. It's like that, whatever you did on Thursday in rehearsal can totally change on Sunday. Like, it's just always improvised, you know, it's always inspired by something, whatever that something might be, you know, just whatever's happening in the church service that you know, particular day. Like there's just an education that you get there that you can't get in the band room. And so I think that's those things definitely are are what makes a lot of those people you talk about that come out of the church. Like it makes them phenomenal. Like not just good at what they do, but it it's just a little extra soft that you can't you can't get nowhere else, you know. And it seems like, you know, the two pieces are married, uh, you know, the spirituality and also the musicality, especially, like you said, in the black church. Um, do you feel like faith um, is really tough without that connection to music? Um, no, nah, I, I wouldn't say that. You know, I think it's definitely, you know, it's a part of what we do in the black church. Like, it's a real part of what we do in the black church. But, you know, you, you got to try to, at some point, get to a place where you don't have to have an organ in order for you to, you know, be able to focus on God. Like, cause that's when you really need God, most of the time, it ain't no organ nowhere around. Like it ain't no choir nowhere around. <laughs> like, so you gotta, no, definitely. you gotta get to that point. But, um, but in the church itself, yeah, it's definitely, a, they, they are seriously tied together. And, you know, again, like that's one of those things you can't really teach, but you have musicians who learn how to, um, I don't want to use the word manipulate. That's not really the right word I want to use. They learn how to harness like those emotional things that are happening, those spiritual things, and they learn how to like somehow put it into an instrument. You know what I mean? Okay. And that's how you can have like an organ player that can move a whole church. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a it's a different kind of education. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you know, so you took what you learned, um, you know, and, and kind of cultivated in the church. And, you know, you took that with you, uh, you know, throughout your life. Uh, what was the, I guess, turning point for you uh, when you started kind of getting into that professional space, you know, as a musician? Uh, it was pretty young, man. Like in high school, you know what I'm saying? I started, uh, it started at one of the churches where I was playing when I was in high school. I think I was, started there when I was like 15, I think, you know, everybody who was anybody in like the local music scene in Houston was coming through this church. So getting to connect with them, I started to learn a little bit more about what they did outside of the church. And so I just started exploring. I started, you know, my mom, it was cool, letting me hang out, you know, with some of the, the older people. And, um, so I would go out to spots where I was way too young to be, but you know, dudes would sneak me in or whatever. And so I just started yeah. kind of getting a feel for what it was like in the real world. You know what I'm saying? And then I would have an opportunity to like jump on the drums and play a song or whatever. And dudes like, oh man, little dudes can play. And so then I just started the networking process. So it just it all happened young, but you know, it's it's just like networking and it step by step until you get where you're going and then you gotta, you know, you definitely gotta be able to show and prove when it's, when it's, you know, you get opportunity to. And so I was, I was decent at a young age and it worked out for me, you know what I'm saying? Okay, and then you 
you, uh, as you say, took your talents to PV. Yeah. Uh, you know, what was that like? What was that experience like? <laughs> Man, that was, uh, for one, it was college, you know what I mean? So just for anybody, college is, it's just a big step, you know what I mean? So, you know, I was, uh, I was a new dad, already a kid when I got to college. So it was, that was, you know, a crazy thing in itself, but like just learning how to be on my own and learning how to manage being a dad, you know, and a student. And, uh, and then I was in the band. So that was the band at Prairie View, man, is like, I mean, it's still really, really solid. When I got there, I think it was a special time. We had like amazing directors. The the drum set in the box was like the best in the nation. And a lot of that had, you know, those reasons why they were so good happened Monday through Friday. And you just saw the output on Saturday, but just amazing teachers that that really put us, you know, in the right frame of mind, taught us how to work hard, taught us how to be excellent at what we do. And um man, that that grew me up. Like that time that time taught me like the X's and O's, like this is how you go about doing what you do. You know what I mean? And I, I can take that and get better on my own, but learning like this is how you go about your work. This is, you know what I mean? This is how excellence is produced. And those things don't have nothing to do with, with uh, playing your instrument. You know what I mean? It's, it's mental and it's, uh, it's, it's organizational and, and discipline. You know what I'm saying? So like those, those lessons stick with me till I die. Like I, they apply to everything, and I, I definitely learned a lot of that there. You know what I'm saying? And I'm grateful for that time. So college, you know, a lot of people associate college with going to, you know, get a degree in a certain discipline, whether it be, you know, mathematics or English or whatever the case may be. But in truth, uh, when you like when you go to college, you learn how to learn, and you learn, you know, yourself really. You become this sort of case study where, okay, here I am away from what I know. I'm going to have to juggle these things. I mean, you, you were a perfect example. You juggled so much being a you know, new father, uh, classes, the band and everything else. You know, uh, was that a major part in uh, grooming who you are and how you think, you know, having to juggle so many things and kind of learn on the fly? Absolutely. Like, and like I said, I'm, I have to apply those lessons every day because like that's what my life still feels like now. It's like I got now I have three daughters and and I got a career and I have a wife and you know what I mean? I'm, I'm trying to build new things. So trying to find that balance is is crazy, but that's exactly why I learned how to do it and learned how to do it. You know what I'm saying? So. So, so what was the drum line like where you were PV? Did you represent? Did, did y'all go and shut Bro, shut things down? To to this day, I'm I, I'm still like yet to see anybody better. And I I'm not saying that from a biased place, like because I, I give dudes their props. Like there's some really good drum lines out there right now, but it was something special. I think timing had a lot to do with it because like we were right at the end of that era where there weren't any cell phones. Like the internet was brand new. So we put so much of ourselves into like doing that. You know what I mean? It was just a different level of uh, of, of mentality. Like now the kids are like way more talented than on, as a whole than we were. Cause you know, we had dudes that never took drum lessons before, you know what I mean? But they were just soldiers, you know, with their mentality. So we put in so much work and as a unit, like we were amazing, you know what I mean? There was a period in, in the nineties of about 10, 12 years where nobody in the nation could touch the box. And they are, I mean, anybody will tell you who know, like, you know. You know. <laughs> so y'all should, y'all came in and shut it down every time you touch the field. We was the bulls, man. Like we was the nineties bulls. <laughs> that's gotta be, <laughs> yeah, that's gotta be special there. Um, there's nothing like the black experience when you, when you, when you go through that. Yeah, man, it's a cool thing, and like we still are off like family right now. You know, we still rooting for the younger generation, and these, like I said, these are young dudes, man. They're talented, and um, so we, you know, we're still rooting for them. It's a, it's a big family. Uh, so, uh, you know, and BV serves as a springboard 
for your professional career, correct? And you yeah. get your first gig. Uh, can you talk about that and how that how that came about? Yeah, man. I was like I said, I was I was flirting, you know, with the club scene and whatnot. So I'm, you know, hour away at PV, doing my thing and driving to Houston, trying to you know network and you know keep planting my seeds like that. And uh, one day I was at Prairie View in class, and I got a call from my buddy, man, and the opportunity opened up to play for Wayman Tisdale. And um, it, it meant a lot. It meant uh, it meant having to leave school because I'm pretty positive this was like, this was the top of the semester. So it was probably right around this time, like, you know, late August. So it meant leaving school. Um, it meant figuring out the situation with my kid. Um, it, it meant leaving my, my band family and leaving them out cold because we've been like preparing all summer to do our thing at this point, you know, I'm an upperclassman. So like people really depended on me. And so it meant walking out on that, but um, it also meant like, this is the opportunity. I, I know like in my college career, I'm looking at another year of doing this maybe with, with no paycheck, just a small scholarship, or I can start trying to open up the, the door for the next 30 years, you know? So, I had to go on and, and take that opportunity, man. I, I left school and, and started running. And then, you know, I, I kept coming back to school trying to finish when I when I was not on the road, but that was that definitely opened up the floodgates. And, you know, it's it's been twenty years now. <laughs> now, you know, uh we know Wayne Wayman as a uh, you know former NBA player mm-hmm. and he transitioned to jazz, you know, what was that like being part of a jazz troupe and you know, touring and uh, interacting with fans and things. You know, was yeah. that what you expected? Um, it was. It was a little, a little bit weird because I was young. I was maybe nineteen, twenty, I think. And you know, at that time, Wayman was probably thirty-five, thirty-six, maybe older. And uh, and he's playing smooth jazz. So the the audience for that is in the thirty-five <laughs> to, to sixty-five range. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> A lot so, of cougars. A lot of cougars. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of, you know, empty nesters out on the date. You know what I'm saying? Um, I was definitely always the youngest person by far in every single room we were in. So that was kind of weird. But it was also good because I learned from from seasoned people. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, women wasn't out there trying to, you know, run up the tab on everything and trying to get a bunch of notches in his belt. He was constantly talking to me about making good decisions or, you know, do this with your money that you're getting right now. Like encouraging me, hey, you know, I see you I left school, but, you know, when we when tour stop, you should think about keeping up, like try to finish, try to finish. So, you know, he was constantly in my ear with, with good information. And that was, that was a good thing for me being so young because I just, I went from, having good leaders at school, you know, at Prairie View, good band directors and people that really cared about me to that situation where I was around another, just a good solid man that was like willing to pour into me and try to help, you know, keep continuing raising me basically, you know what I mean? Like I had a cool uncle. Did he ever tell you any, uh, any funny stories, especially like I, I imagine he had two different types of fame, you know, you know, there's a different kind of fame with being a professional athlete. And then now he's a musician. Uh, did he ever give you kind of any clues to the difference that he saw? Man, uh, he he didn't, it was, it was crazy because he didn't really, like once he was done playing basketball, it was almost like it never existed. You know what I mean? Like he didn't really talk about basketball a whole lot. He just was really, really, really into music. And I, I think, you know, from from getting to know him, it seems like that was where his passion really was, was music. He just had the physical ability, so he took advantage of him. But he grew up playing playing bass in his dad's church when he was young. And, like, I think he just really, really cared about music. So, like, when I got around him, it was all music. It was studio in the house, you know. He had a basketball go outside, but, like, he really was 100% music. I think the only thing I remember him talking about one day we were riding in Tulsa and he was telling me about like getting drafted and like the first things that he bought, you know what I mean? And that was, that was cool. Listening to him talk about like, you know, he was, he was a number one pick. 
So. Oh yeah, you, you got some money to spend, money to burn. Yeah. So he he told me about like bins that he bought, he bought a house, and like he's, I remember that conversation. And then like I don't remember all the details, but I just remember being like, dang, like like these dudes is paid for real. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was just rattling off a list of stuff that he bought, and and he was pretty financially savvy. So I know he didn't just go crazy, but he had that much money where he could buy all of that just just to kind of treat itself, you know? Yeah, one day you don't have it, till the next day you have so many yeah. zeros, you can't even keep up. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a crazy dynamic, yeah. Yeah, bro. Uh, what was, what was I guess, the best lesson you took from, you know, working with him? Probably, man, it was some, some fatherhood things, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I was having some real issues. We just said, like, like that real lightly i was having some real issues with my kid's mom at that time and um and he was he was open and, a, and an ear for me to kind of bounce some stuff off and um like he i remember sitting down a couple times at his kitchen table and he would just encourage me like to keep showing up you know what i'm saying and you know i i probably would have did that anyway but it was crucial at the time when he did it, because like I'm at the height of the frustration, I'm getting the phone calls, yeah. and he happened to be the person that's right there that I'm with, and he, you know, his advice to me was solid, and I remember feeling real like confident after one of those talks, like okay, you know what, like she's gonna try her best to keep me away, and I'm just gonna be at your doorstep every day, like you just gonna have a pest in your life, but he he affirmed that, you know what I'm saying, and um, and he had I think they got four or five kids, you know, like I just I was I would be at his house and just watching him like just be a dad like it was just inspiring you know what I mean like just stay in the fight him and his wife both Regina man they were um they were in my corner you know what I'm saying that's really that was important to me at that moment you know so he was just a good example all the way around musically yeah. family wise man yeah. uh, wow yeah. uh, it's, it's really important to have somebody like that early on yeah man and like you know I, like I said I got a great dad like. Love my dad. Great dad. Best in the world. But just as you start to get older, you know, and my dad ain't with me when I'm trying to run around the country and, and trying to do this stuff. So the people you still going to be the sum total of the people that you're around. So it was exactly. it was great for me to be, especially in the in the world of music. That is, you know, it can lots of sex, drugs and rock and roll ain't just a, a, a thing. You know what I'm saying? It became a thing for a reason. So. You know, it's just good to be around solid people, man, that can help you navigate and learn how to how to be you and be right in the middle of all of this, you know. Totally. Um, so, you you know, after you uh, work with Wayman, you went on to work with, uh, you know, a very unique artist, uh, Khalees. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? I mean, because she has such a um, eclectic persona. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like we don't even really know who she is. What was that like? Man, uh, musically, it was fun because of that. You know what I mean? Like, it's um, the approach to the music is so unique. And you can't help but have fun playing the music. And then, like, Pharrell did most of that stuff from the era when I was playing. So he's my favorite. You know what I mean? It was just, I get to mock his mind every day and, and go at it when I'm playing. So that was musically was super dope. And like the the spaces that we would end up playing shows were cool too because she was such an alternative audience. So like we'll be on a festival with rock bands and you know what I mean? Like all these different kind of artists. So it was cool to experience like the world. Everything I did with her was like European and uh Australian, New Zealand, that type of thing. So I experienced the world with a real eclectic kind of world artist so yeah that was that was the best part so like you know you mentioned pharrell uh did that challenge you as far as you know musically trying to keep up with you know whatever tracks that he laid down yeah i mean it was dope because like i'm i'm playing the drums but i'm still always studying everything as a producer you know what i mean because that's that's also part of what i do so you know it's cool to listen and study what Pharrell is doing while I'm having to, to interpret it and play it on the drums. So I'm getting two for one, you know? Oh, that's dope to uh, 
kind of going in his footsteps. And like, you know, so did you learn anything from some of the, cause I imagine if you're playing with rock bands, you know, they have drummers and they're known for, you know, being a drummer, sure. uh, you know, did you pick up anything from them, whether it be, um, you know, how to be a better drummer or, you know, how to approach the, uh, the craft? Um, the thing I learned most from that whole period when I was with her was, um, I learned about being a little bit more of a showman because that ain't really my thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm just a chill dude. So I'm, I'm going to play the music and I'm going to play the hell out of it. But I ain't really like here to, you know, swing my hair and do backflips. That's just kind of not my thing. But because of the spaces that she was in, like she needed to be a little bit more of a show, show kind of artist. You know what I mean? So they would ask me to be a little bit more, you know, in that direction. And that was, that was something I had to learn because it just ain't natural. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, definitely being in those environments where it was, you know, all these huge rock bands and all of that. Like I got to watch how they just approach the stage, how they work it. And then I had to come up in that same show. So it's like, all right, let me bring my best energy to the stage too, you know? So showmanship was the biggest piece. Yeah, I, I think up until that point, I don't, I don't even think I know. Up until that point, I hadn't done anything that was uh, at that level, you know. Like even working with Wayman, it's um, the crowd size, the production value, everything is still it's it's still pro. Don't get me wrong, but there's just these levels, right? So we're talking with Wayman. You might be doing a club that is a you know a thousand seater or something like that. You do some festivals like jazz festivals, but there's when you were Khalees and you're out in the middle of the countryside and you're doing the Virgin Music Festival and there's a hundred thousand people, mm. huge screens everywhere, and that's just a whole different level. So being able to bring that energy at that level is it requires you to, you know, kind of go there if you ain't done it before. You know what I'm saying? So that was that was definitely a learning experience. Well, did you ever get a chance to kind of get to know her a little bit? I mean, we live on the bus together, so yeah, you get to you get to know people when you're on tour, whether you want to or not. Unless you are, you know, touring with a, a Beyonce or a Jay Z or something <laughs> on a jet every day, and you're on the bus. But outside of that, if you're living on a bus together, man, yeah, you you get to know each other pretty intimately. <laughs> you know what I mean? What so, What surprised you about her? That, you know, as you got to know her. Um. Probably the same thing that surprised me about all the artists I work with. Like how they're, they're just people. You know what I'm saying? They're just people. Like a lot of them. I mean, I, I her in particular. It's just like man, they get get worn of the uh, the schedule every day. You get worn of having to give yourself to everybody, and so you just kind of see them on the bus trying to recharge their battery and, and you know go from the regular person to being the superhuman person that everybody has expectations on, you know? Yeah, she's regular, man. Just was she going through the whole Nas thing during that time? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was also like, uh, uh, you're just regular moment because like I'm going through the same thing on, on the other end of my phone, trying to, you know, deal with a baby's mom and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, man, they were, they were having real human problems and, you could hear them working those problems out sometimes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah, I'm I'm an expert in my business, so <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah, I, I, I think wouldn't, you have to be. Yeah, man, for you sure. For sure, uh, I wasn't expecting that, but it was definitely uh, it was definitely present. You know, Some real human problems. So is that is that what made you move to um, you know Atlanta or spend more time in Atlanta? Uh, the opportunities yeah. you were getting with her and like like a Jermaine Debris. Yeah, that it started with Khalees. That was um, they were based here, so they were rehearsing here and all that work was here. So I had to come here to do rehearsals before we would go out on the road, you know. And um, I just decided it was the right step for me to come to Atlanta to try to attack my goals, you know. You know, so that led to the the Jermaine Dupree's and, you know, all the other Atlanta work. What was it like working with him? Because he's, he's been at it since he was a kid. 
yeah. know, major level too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I would say when I was with him, that's when he was dating Janet Jackson. So I got oh, wow. See, yeah, I got to see Janet at the show one time. That was interesting. <laughs> she looked like she ain't aged at all. Like that was that was crazy. It was like seeing Penny on Good Times. You know what I mean? She has a certain aura about her. I mean, did you yeah. feel that when you were yeah. in the car? Absolutely. Like like she ain't real. Wow. Yeah. She's like she's the the like <laughs> the anomaly. She's probably the artist that I went around and I didn't have that feeling like, oh, she's normal. I ain't <laughs> had that where I was like, nah, she's Janet Jackson. Like Yeah, well she, she is a Jackson. They're they're, they're music royalty. She did. But it was dope being with, with him. Like I did a bunch of like work for some of the artists that he was trying to break at that time. So I only worked with him a few times because uh, he he didn't really release a bunch of music at that time, but he was trying to break other artists. So it was cool just being around, just watching how he works, you know what I mean? And uh, seeing like they work ethic is crazy. Like they put in real hours. It ain't no accident why they, where they get to. You know? So now you're at a point in your career where you've, you know, you've done the jazz thing and mm -hmm. you've done, you know, alternative music, if you want to call it that. Um, and, you know, working with uh, Jermaine Dupree, you know, are you starting to, you know, see yourself as, you know, kind of identify yourself as a drummer? Like, did you see yourself more like as a Quest Love type drummer or like the Mr. Funky Drummer himself, Clyde Stubblefield? I mean, both of them are heavy influences in, into how I want to, you know, approach the drums for sure. But man, I, I've always tried to approach it. I've always tried to come at like the business, like I'm not just a drummer. You know what I'm saying? And um, and not that that's a bad thing at all, because I, I mean I love what I do, and I don't plan on stopping no time soon. But I always wanted to be uh, a creator. You know what I'm saying? So I want to be always in the seat of producing music. I always want to be in the seat of finding and breaking new artists, uh, you know, so that I, I've, I've always been on the drum seat, but looking at the big picture and looking at the whole situation and figuring like, where do I plug into this at the next level too? You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, the, I try to keep those in my mind almost as two separate places. You know what I mean? Cause like I said, the, the drum thing, playing music, being a musician, that's as natural to me as breathing. So I'm going to always do that. But I also am I'm a businessman. You know what I mean? So I'm always thinking, what is my next step and how do I build here? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quest love when I'm on the drum throne. And I mean, he, he's a good model because he also is a, a really smart businessman as well. He's created himself as an entity and not just a drummer, you know? And um, so, yeah, I definitely, I'm trying to be in his footsteps, you know, no doubt. I got a chance to tell him that too, which was dope. Like when we did Fallon, I got to meet him in the bathroom. It was a weird meeting because he, <laughs> and, uh, and he didn't feel good. So he had tissue like blowing his nose and whatnot. So I can't shake his hand, but it was dope to just be able to tell him like, man, I'm, you know, I'm a student, you know what I'm saying? But that was dope. Awkward circumstances, but it was dope. Hey, you gotta, you know, you gotta take your opportunities when they come, no matter how awkward they might be. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so you went from, you know, I guess you could say, you know, normal secular, you know, music, and you know, your next step was with Lecrae, yeah. you know, uh, Christian rapper. Well, like you know, that's what we've kind of designated him as. Right. How did that opportunity come about? Uh, man, just like everything else, it was, um, you know. At some point, your networking uh, it, it kind of opens the door. So when they were looking for, they were looking to just kind of add to their production value. They had done a few tours already. They were building. This was like back in 2010. They were building their touring thing. You know, it was growing. They wanted to add some production value, so they wanted to add a musician. They decided on a drummer. So then they were like, "Well, who do we call? If we don't know anybody." And um, it just so happens that at that time I was helping out one of my homies 
at a church plant here in Atlanta. And they were all kind of part of that church plant. They all moved here from Dallas. And um, so they were starting this church together. And it was kind of a, you know, a, a young church, uh, you know, a progressive church, uh, a hip hop church, if you will. But um, a hip hop, you know, influenced church, but not necessarily the music and nothing like that. But it was just that young blood, you know, that new progressive Christian. And so I was there helping with the music you know, and um, so they were like, well, let's call this dude who's been at the church. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. They called me and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, I kind of, I didn't say no outright, but I was like, man, I don't know. Like I was super skeptical because for one, it was Christian rap and everything I had heard to that point was really trash, honestly. You know, I respect, I respect the, the mission, but musically it was just not something I would want to attach to, you know, and um. So I decided to do it because the, the more I talked to uh, the guy who was, you know, involved with giving me all the details, the more I understood that number one, they were actually a viable like entity. You know what I mean? Because I was in my mind, I was like, bro, we're gonna get out here on the road and get stuck in some city because some promoter didn't pay. Like in my mind, I'm like, they just they can't be at the level to support a 30 some city tour. They gotta be dreaming or just kind of pipe dreaming and trying to sell me on a pipe dream, which happens in this business sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, at this point, I'm like, no, I'm way too mature and smart and experienced to, to go down that path. So I was like, dumb skeptical, you know what I mean? And uh, the more I did my research, the more I realized, okay, you know, they're actually a, a budding you know, business and they they're they're doing their thing, so you know I feel better about that part. And then I noticed that they were a nice, you know, individually they all were like seemed to be really good dudes, and they seemed to be kind of close knit together. And I was like, man, cool. I'm I'll buy into that because at that time, and I had been in Atlanta for about four or five years, and you know we moved to other cities like this, you know. Especially somebody like me, I'm a little bit introverted. I'm a lot introverted actually, but um, yeah. like I will, uh, I work in the city, but I really didn't kind of connect with people, you know, much. Okay. So it just felt like I just lived here, and I was like, cool. This is an opportunity for me to plug in with some dudes that seem to be really good dudes, and um, and just see how that goes. And and it just it was a good fit. It worked, and like to this day, man, those like all of them, the whole crew, they my brothers. You know what I'm saying? And um. So yeah, it worked out, but it almost never happened for real. So, you know, once you got to going and, you know, I guess you hear Lecrae rapping, yeah. you know, what was your thoughts as far as, you know, when you heard him, when you first heard him and where he could go with it? Yeah. Once, like once we got in rehearsals and stuff and I'm playing this stuff, you know, 40 times a day and actually listening to it, then I started to realize like, no, nah, they, they actually, all these dudes are really good artists too. And I was hearing some of the new material that was going to be coming later on that year. And I was like, okay, they're actually, they're putting a lot of work into their production value too. They like, they want to be excellent. And, you know, by the time we hit the road and got started, I was pretty much bought into to the whole situation. Cause I, I saw like, we are, we got a lot in common, you know what I mean? Like that, same excellence I want to pursue, I get to be around it and get to be inspired by it, you know, and, and just kind of get to be a part of it. Um, so yeah, I was I was locked in, you know what I mean? Um, and then after that tour, it was it didn't take me long to realize what Lecrae's mission really was, you know what I mean? Which is not necessarily the church, you know? And so I could really lock arms with that too because that's just who I am. Like I'm I grew up in the church, but I really care more about the people who ain't in the church. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I realized like that was his mission too. So it was easy for me to to buy into it. You know what I mean? What was the difference? What, I guess what was the biggest difference to you? Uh, you know, comparatively, you know, here you you had played with the Khalees and that you know more secular pop, pop music, and here it's a whole different lane of Christian music. Yeah. Was that very, you know, 
how did you come to understand the differences, you know, as you move along? I mean, one of the major differences has got to be just the everything surrounding it. You know what I mean? So like the um, the fans are a lot different and, you know, which can be good and bad. Like they're they're loyal, but they're also they tend to just be kind of judgmental and, you know, it, it can get crazy sometimes. So that was that was different. Um, it was also different having people like care about your family and care about you off the stage and, you know, what you got going on and, and make those things like more important than the the stage and more important than the show, you know, and, and then in the secular world, and it ain't just secular world, honestly, it's, I'll just say with certain artists, cause it's all over the board. With certain artists, you're just, uh, you're just a high gun. You're there to do a job, you know, you can't do it, cool, move on to the next person. But I felt valued in this situation and felt like, you know, we care about you as a person and we care about, you know, you as a husband and you as a dad, like just the whole nine. So that's that's a huge difference, you know. It seems like, you know, like uh it seems kind of just from the outside looking in, it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint how that lane could be financially viable. You know, did you see kind of where a Christian musician or a Christian rapper, how they could be, you know, how they can get some, some success, you know, monetarily? Um, Like I said, in the beginning, it didn't really make sense to me at all. Like, I wasn't familiar with the market. You know, I, I just didn't get it at all. Um, But I, I was familiar with the Christian space. So I knew that there's definitely a Christian music market, you know, and, and I definitely know that there's people making really good money. Once I started to be around, then I got a much better vision of how that whole there they were really in like very very integral. They weren't like the you know the trailblazer, but they were very integral in making the space that they are in right now. So they kind of created a space that wasn't really there before, and um, that started a lot of that had to do with with the right timing. You know what I mean? Um, there was there was some Christian rap that was taking place on the East Coast and the West Coast, but they were like the first label to really dig into like the Southern sound. You know what I mean? And um, okay. and that was that was popping then. It was Yin Yang Twins. It was the whole Atlanta thing. That's when Atlanta got on a roll. You know, so they were they were locked in with that era of music. It was also right at the end of the hard copy, you know, like CD era. So people were buying music for real. So like, you know, they, they just created a market. They were able to financially build up, you know, a base so that way they could keep on rolling. And um, so yeah, a lot of that had to do with timing. A lot of it had to do with just being um, being smart. And, and a lot of it had to do with seeing a need and, uh, and meeting that need. So, Real smart business people, man. Like I've, I've definitely enjoyed being close to just watch how they run their label because they, they do an amazing job. Now, what about the actual fandom? Like, you know, when you out on the road touring, you know, with Lecrae, what are the yeah. fans like and what are like the shows like? Uh, the fans are are cool. Like it's they're they're definitely like, you know, they're they're loyal, which is which is dope. They're real fans, you know. I I will say one of the things that I've not enjoyed is the way that they um they they tend to be like I said they're they're kind of unforgiving you know so they they look at and it ain't just Christian artists it's pastors and whoever but they kind of look and treat these people like they are supposed to be perfect you know so they're they're quick to tear you down if if something that they deem less than perfect happens and that can be anything you know what I mean it can mean it could be something that you say, something you wear. It could be anything. So, like, that part is not cool. Like, I've, I've learned from watching, like, a lot of how they – some, and it's not all of them. It's just – definitely it's a small group of fans. But I've learned from watching how they move. I'm like, okay, cool, I get it now. Those are the people that killed Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the ones who show up at church every week, but they really are, you know, 
at heart they're super judgmental and they're like yeah. to tear people down and not looking at themselves as being less than perfect and allowing that to bleed over into giving other people grace. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so yeah, but that, but like you know, on, on a large scale, they're really loyal and and like they're locked in. And because of that, the shows the shows are crazy. Like especially in in the right cities, cities that know how to turn up. Like the shows can be, they can be like it's no different than like a Travis Scott show. Just minus the weed smoke and and <laughs> and, and like the heavy drinking. Because sometimes it's, there's some people who understand their liberties and they'll drink at the shows, but a lot of people don't. You know what I mean? So it's kind of that's one of them weird things where I'm like, man, I wish I would feel more free. Just understand, like there's you know there's a way to be, there's a way to to be responsible. But um, yeah, the shows get live. I I, I miss that right now for real. Yeah, the interaction, and especially if they're real fans, um, they yeah. probably know all the words of the songs. And yeah, certain cities, man. Texas is always lit. Like all the Texas shows is crazy. Um, Philly, like there, there's a bunch of markets that you can count on. DC, they're gonna go all the way in. And then there's other places that are like really super fans, but they're just more reserved because they're really reserved places. You know what I'm saying? And then some places are surprised you. Like you might be in Iowa somewhere, and they'll tear the whole room up. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of really devoted fans, and yeah. you can take that on a uh, double entendre: devoted, but also devoted. Yeah. Um, so you guys also played, you know, rock the bells. Right. Obviously, those are all secular artists, you know, with secular fans. Uh, what was that experience like? It was exciting, um, and it was it was you know, it was nerve wracking too. But it was it was real dope, man. Because like that was kind of especially at that time, like Lecrae had decided to really go after. You know, a lot of people they again, this is where they start trying to throw darts at people. They want to say you're going mainstream, but it wasn't just going mainstream. It was really he decided to take what he does and try to give it to a much broader audience and not just the church, you know what I'm saying? And um, so that was exciting because whenever you shoot out to do something and then you get a chance to, to do it, it's exciting, you know? But it was also like, when you're there, it's like, oh shoot, like this is this is what we asked for and this is definitely gonna be tough, you know? Cause like, I remember the San Francisco Rock the Bills, we went on right after Earl Sweatshirt, who, you know, he's like with the Our Future Boys and, and Tyler the Creator, you know what I mean? Like, couldn't be further apart from what we do, you know? And Earl Sweatshirt was up and rocking the crowd. They knew all the words and it was, you know, and we was sitting there watching like, man, this is, it's gonna be different. As soon as we get up there, we know they don't know all our words. We, there's some people out here who are Lecrae fans or, or you know, might be familiar with a song, but for the most part, we coming up here as the visiting team. You know what I'm saying? You know, trying not to get booed. <laughs> basically, or at least, at least trying to, you want to make sure you grab their attention and make them walk away from it. Like, who's that? You know, and, um, and really nothing less than that. You know what I mean? Like, we, trying to really come here and, and really put it on you. So, you know, we, we spent a whole bunch of time in preparation, like trying to give the best show that we could to make sure that we grabbed the biggest, you know, net of people that we could get and, you know, talk to them like right where they are and in a way that they understand and um, without having to compromise nothing. And we, and we did it. So like, that was, that was dope. And by the time the show was over, like we, we did our job, right? You know, it was it was far from booze. It was making a bunch of fans, you know. That has to feel good to kind of, quote unquote, turn a room. Not that they were against you, but didn't know you. Yeah. And by the end of it, like, wow, who, who are these people? I need, we need yeah. to go find more music from them. Exactly. And that's that's a tough space. You know what I mean? I, I feel bad for like stand up comedians because that's kind of what they walk into all the time. Unless the whole room knows who you are. Like you have to try to make these people laugh. And and you got a room full of skeptics because they really there to see whoever they know, whoever's the headliner. And you got a room full of people who waiting to boo you off the stage. You know, they're gonna give you a chance. So it's like, go ahead, impress me. 
And if you can do that, then you make it, you know. It was, that was definitely one of those moments. And it's, we've, we've had a bunch of those moments, like, you know, the BT award stuff, the 106 and Park stuff. Like, it's just it's been a bunch of times where we've been in that situation. And it's gotta, you got to have the right music, which he does a great job of, you know, making great songs. And then we, as the music team, we just try to make sure we add to that music and, and do some things that are going to be familiar to the crowd. I mean, just be excellent on our instruments. That in itself would make people be like, man, they sound good, you know. So we just each individually try to bring our A game and, and you got to win that crowd. It's, those are my favorite moments, you know. Yeah, Cream always rises to the top. Yeah. Um, did you see kind of the interaction with him and like some of the other major, you know, rap artists? Like how did they receive him? All the time. I mean, all the time, still to this day. Like he's respected because you know he's respected because people who know his story a little bit they know number one they know like he's he's done all this independent so you got to respect that um and then they they know he's a he's a, a dope artist they know he's a, you know a dope rapper and and people respect the fact that he's strong about his convictions but you know not trying to condemn nobody so all i've seen is artists like rock with him and then end up connecting with him and they make you know they have their own relationships you know and um you know there's a lot of trust that's built between him and a lot of your favorite artists you know what i mean and um i think that's dope that's that's properly using your influence you know that's good because he so he can be somewhat like a spiritual coach or guide here and there for people yeah uh, peers anyway I know for sure that he's got that relationship with with several, you know, big profile people. You know what I'm saying, and that's dope. I know, uh, you know, one of my favorite players, uh, Stephen Curry. He's mm -hmm. a he's a big fan and proponent. Yeah, so we like we go through the bay. If they there, he's at the show. You know, like, and that's 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 dope. Like that influence goes a long way. Go way past, you know. A song or or basketball game. Yeah, that's that's, that's got to be dope to see up front. So, you know, you know, so you've done all of these things for other artists, but you know, you have your own uh, projects, uh, especially as a producer. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk about your heard not seen? Uh, you know, I, I think I understand what the you know what the title means, but you know, can you talk yeah. about uh, that project and you know how you got there? So I, I mean I'm, I do music and I push myself forward as an artist, but I don't want to be the focus at all ever. So like the albums that I've done, I, they exist to create a platform for other artists. You know what I mean? So some of those artists are upcomers who need you know the boost, and then some of those artists like I had a song with Lecrae on my last album. He didn't need me at all. But it was cool to hear him on a different type of production. You know what I mean? So it was a lab for him to just come and do something different. And so I, I work with more established artists in that way where, you know, I'm just putting them into a different a different room so that they can come up with something that's a little bit outside of what they normally do, you know. And um, okay. so yeah, that's that's my whole thing, man, as a as a quote unquote artist, I'm a producer and I'm just trying to make space for these other artists and do really dope music and do really uh, eclectic music or for some different music, you know, from, from what their regular catalog sounds like. But yeah, that's, that's the whole heard not seen thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm over here, I'm behind. And I ain't gotta be out front, but I was definitely inspired by Timbaland a while back, man. Like, and Pharrell the same way, which Pharrell is more of an artist. He put his voice forward, but, I was inspired by both of them because they they've done projects that are you know compilation projects where it's, you know it's a Timbaland album, but he's just working with eight nine different artists and creating vibes with them. You know, so that's what inspired me, man. And I'm, I've just done a couple, and I'm getting ready to release another one soon. Like we're rolling out some singles for that right now. We got uh, in my lane that dropped out uh, two weeks ago. Right. We did a single with uh, my man Eli Lefty. That's our newest artist. He's a he's a genius, bro. 
Like, I'm just, I'm trying to be patient and just, you know, <laughs> let the world get to him when it happens. But he's a genius. Like, it's, it's going to be real, real, real stuff coming out from him. So as a producer, when you run across uh, artists like this, what's your job to, so I guess, sort of really give them the platform to succeed and be the artist that they should be? First thing is what happens before anybody hears the music. So it's like helping them to create the best product possible, you know? And for different artists, that means different things. Like for some artists, they're great writers, but they don't really understand how to put together, you know, a song and record it. So they, they need some help just learning to be better recording artists. Some artists are great recording artists, but they aren't good writers. So it's trying to get them in the room with the right writers or, you know, help them develop their own writing skills, you know? So it's, it's they all have like different, uh, different things that need to take place in order to help them become the best artists, you know, and that's when you're recording your product. And then after that, it's trying to just use my, my influence and use like the, the platform I have and, and the connections and, you know, the resources I have to try to help get their product out to the market in the best way, you know? So it's a, it's a two pronged thing. And, and uh, both of those, or a process, you know, it takes some real work. So as a producer, would you say that you have a signature sound? Like I would know what Timberland beat, or I would know uh, Pharrell beat. Do you, do you want to get to that point or would you rather be kind of, you know, have various, uh, you know, soundscapes? I mean, so the, the truth about both of them is they are still, you know, pretty eclectic. They can do a lot of things, but they still have a sound. There's something that lets you know, like, man, that's I'll, I'll know a Timbaland beat or a Pharrell beat, like anywhere, no matter what style it is, no matter you know who the artist is. So, I mean, I, I definitely think I have that thing. You know, when, when I'm listening to my music, there's something that connects it all to me, even though it's all you know different and all over the place. Um, you know, I guess time will tell if if the consumers and the masses feel that way. But I. I definitely, uh, without trying to do the same thing over and over again, I, I definitely think there's a common thread in, in all my productions. Do you feel like the Houston sound kind of, you know, makes its way into your production? Uh, I wouldn't say like the actual Houston sound per se. Like even though I, I have, of course, I'm from the South Side, so I've I've had to throw my little my little layups to to screw and you know I, i've screwed a bunch of vocals and that type of stuff so i definitely pay my my respect but um if anything i would say what shows up is just the uh the grit of of the sound really just the grit of like just the city and like in that era and where i'm from so it is a certain way i want stuff to feel but it won't necessarily be locked into a houston sound if that makes sense Okay, yeah, definitely. Um, I always yeah. want to feel like like uh, MLK and Belfry, you know, <laughs> but that can be any kind of song. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I guess the the sound isn't necessarily a monolith, but you know, Houston is known for screw, like you said. Um, you know, our certain beats like uh, Mr. Lee, uh, things like that. Um, and you also have another. You know, product project that you're working on, uh, social sessions. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, man. You know, it was inspired by uh, this pandemic. <laughs> we leading up to the pandemic, we were doing events in Houston weekly that were, you know, just platforms for emerging artists and um and giving them a place to showcase uh, and, and be able to do original material and not just do cover songs. You know, so the pandemic put a big hole in that. And so we were trying to figure out how do we continue that mission because that's really like a, you know, that's a, a movement, not necessarily just a thing we're trying to do with a club. We want to create opportunities to give these artists the chances that they need. You know what I mean? It's hard to get independent artists heard. And it's also hard to do original music like in the public because when you go out in public, people want to hear stuff that they're familiar with. So. You know, we 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 like dead serious about trying to create that platform. So we decided to just 
create a virtual version of it. And um, the actual performances are all done live. We're all in the same room, but just no audience. Um, and so, yeah, man, we just, you know, we have three episodes that are available now. And, you know, that's it, man. We're trying to create like the, the old Soul Train platform. You know what I'm saying? Where an artist could come through, they have a single that's, you know, that they're trying to promote. They can come through, they can perform that for a live audience and they can, audience can learn a little bit more about the audience. I mean, about the artist, you know what I mean? So performances, interviews, we just kind of get, you know, get that interaction going with, with these young, up, well, I say young, but, you know, just upcoming artists, young in their artistry. So what does it be something you drop every week or just when the opportunity? Uh, yeah, we, we, the first couple we drop in back-to-back -back weeks and then we took a little break so we can release some music. So now we're going to get back to dropping some more sessions and then we're going to be back to releasing some music. So it's going to be kind of going in that rotation, you know. We'll be dropping two to three episodes at a time and then you can expect two or three more to come shortly after. So it sounds like, you know, just listening to you speak about it, you, you have a real passion for helping others, um, you know, especially in this music space. You know, where does that come from? Because I know how hard it is, you know, and um, and I, I had some people to open doors for me. So the, the right person who just needs the opportunity, I mean, I, I want to try to do my best to create those opportunities, you know, and like you said, the cream will rise to the top. Like if if they deserve it, when they show up on that platform, people are going to be like, yo, that person is dope. And they're going to they're gonna buy in and support them. And um, so, yeah, man, like that's, that's just kind of how we want to see things happen, you know? Well, you know, there's always a need for, you know, a platform or helping hand, but not everybody is willing to be that helping hand. So that says a lot about, you know, you and how you look, look, but not just at your blessings, but, you know, your ability to bless others. Um, you know, so, you mentioned like how the pandemic has kind of thrown a curveball to all of our lives. And, you know, these are very turbulent times, you know, what do you think of the role that music plays and kind of helping us heal and maybe get out whatever message or next steps that we need to have? Man, what's crazy is, I mean, hopefully, I think we'll see over the next, you know, six months or so, it hasn't been a ton of music released because everybody had to kind of, go into scramble mode and generally speaking, you know, in the industry, you release music and then you got to get out there and support it. And you do that by doing performances or doing, you know, signings or other kind of appearances and we can't do that right now. So a lot of people haven't really released music, but I think over the next six months or so, we'll see. And hopefully the music will reflect the times, which is what it's supposed to always do. Like that's the greatest music that we have to, to listen to today was birthed out of, you know, something. And, and and it's reflective of whatever that something was. So you got the James Browns and the, like, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Like, that's still, like, one of my favorite songs. But when you listen to it, you feel everything else that was going on, you know, during that time. So hopefully, you know, next six months to a year, the music that we will get will be reflective of what we're going through. Um, what I can say for right now, which has been dope to watch, is like the um, they call it the versus effect, right? Like Timbaland and Swiss, this versus thing they've been doing. It's been cool to see how um, music has kind of been healing in that way, like with yes. people getting together and they really just more celebrating their catalogs and calling it, you know, a competition. But it's just cool to see like Snoop and DMX in the same room and. You know what I mean? Celebrating each other, two chains and and Rick Ross ain't trying to be two gangsters in the room. They really in there just being, you know, two bosses in a room and playing their music and just you know and seeing how many people are tuning into it. That lets me. Yeah. It's almost one of those moments too. It's like uh, you can you can have a conversation. You can even meet with your friends. Like, hey, you guys are catching that verses tonight. Yeah. You know, it's almost this moment where you're like, I was there. I was yeah. there when when Snoop went against uh, DMX. I was there, yeah. you know, when Beanie Man. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, it creates these moments that otherwise, like you said, would be there if there was some live show to go to, a concert to go to. You know, uh, it's been very uh, healing in that way and giving people something back. 
you know, yep. that we've obviously lost during these times. Yeah, yeah. And, and just the interaction lets me know that it, people need it, you know. So that's been really cool. And even like uh, like DJ D Nice, like watching how his numbers just exploded. But it's like he just playing feel good music for a couple hours, and people are at home soaking that up. So I'm like, man, people really need that. So it's it's been cool to watch music fill the void in in that way. So hopefully the the new music that we get out of this will will be some uh, some classics, you know. Yeah, it, it's been it's been fervent ground for a lot of creativity. Uh, I can speak for myself. Um, you know, I lost this this podcast during these these pandemic times. So you know, it, it's it's a it's a time to kind of pause and reflect and kind of you know reevaluate. Okay, what am I doing? Where am I going? And how can I get there? You know, um, yeah, a lot of time to kind of really pre think and process. So, uh, like you said, I, I I'm really looking forward to the creativity on the other side, whether it's music, uh, movies. I'm a big movie buff. Uh, I can't yeah. wait to see what kind of projects come out of that as well. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you know they're, they're, it's not all bad, I guess, you know. I'm excited to see this Judas and the Black Messiah movie. Yes, isn't that, uh, who's, who's directing that one? Uh, uh, sheesh, I forgot who's directing it, but I know Lakeith Stanfield is in it, and um, the guy from Get Out, I forget his name, the, the British. Oh movie. yeah, yeah, the Fred the Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton movie. Uh, yeah, yeah um, I think I saw a, a trailer and how they had Lakeith. Was it Lakeith that's playing the mole? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's got to be something when you when you go in not knowing what you're going dealing with. And I, I think over the course of that trailer, he started to believe in what Fran Hampton, uh, the message that he was relaying. And now you're, yeah. you're fighting with yourself like, oh, okay, I'm indebted to these agents, but I really yeah. believe in this cause. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be quite a movie to see. It's going to be a good story. Even though we know the story, but I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting view on it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh man, well, hey, you know, it's it's been a huge pleasure, you know, having you on. Uh, you know, I really appreciate you uh, blessing the platform, you know, um, and to all the uh, rebels out there, please check out, you know, um, you know, his music and his projects, um, you know, Heard Not Seen, uh, Soul Sessions, uh, the new music he's dropping. Uh, I think you'd be very surprised and, and excited about all the different projects you have going on. Um, you know, and again, I really thank you for hanging out with us and, you um, Everyone out there listening, you know, please take the time to, uh, you know, subscribe and, you know, like this podcast. Uh, we drop new episodes every week, every Thursday on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms that you like to enjoy your, you know, your favorite podcast. So uh, for me, Nate, um, you know, we'll see you next time. And please stay rebellious.